Well, good morning. No, I'm not singing. Trying something new this morning. <laughs> um, I told Dan right before I got up here, I'm like, I should have made it bigger. <laughs> like, little. So, Lord, please don't let me lose my spot because I might not find it again. <clears throat> All right. Well, today we're going to be continuing our series in First Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2, so those of you that have your Bibles or your phones or anything that has the scriptures in it, why don't you go ahead and open up there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> Give you just a second. Today I'm going to specifically be locking in on verse 13, but that verse begins with the word, therefore... And as I once heard someone say, and now I hear it in my head every time I see that word, and maybe some of you have heard it too, whenever you see the word therefore, you stop and see what it's there for. So that usually means bump back to the verse before. So let's go back to verse 12, and then we'll go into 13. <clears throat> so verse 12 says, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Verse 13, Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which, of course, it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. So if you connect the two verses with the therefore, you're connecting the two thoughts. What you get is Paul urging the Thessalonians to live their lives worthy to God, emphasizing again that the words he speaks are not man's words, but God words, and that it's those words, the word of God or the scriptures that work within us. Back at the beginning of his letter in chapter 1, Verses 5 and 6, Paul writes, <clears throat> For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And then also in 2 Timothy 3.16, the beginning of that verse says, All scripture is inspired by God. So first, we have to believe that the scriptures are indeed the word of God, or they hold no authority for us. We could spend an entire sermon series talking about all the ways that the Bible and the scriptures have been proven to be true over and over, but for today, we're just going to stand on that collectively as truth. And then we can talk about how God, how we can use God's word in our lives. Paul just mentioned above that he brought the good news with power. And there is power in the word of God, right, you guys? Yes. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Romans 1.16, lots of scripture, lots of words from God this morning. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes the Jew first, and also the Gentile. So when we believe that the Bible is the word of God, and then we do what it says, because 
You got to do what it says, right? You got to do what it says. James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. It's pretty straightforward there. <laughs> okay, so we believe that the word of God, and then we do what it says, and then what? And then, you guys, it says that we have everything that we need. Second Peter 1.3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Going back to 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. Now here's the rest of the verse. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Joshua 1.8, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and be successful in all that you do. In his word, God has provided us the power and authority we need to live godly lives. It has application for every situation you can find yourself in. Just to name a few, it gives us power to overcome temptation. Jesus himself, when he was in the wilderness, alone with Satan, one-on-one, -on -one, used the scripture three times to refute what Satan was trying to tempt him with. And beginning each one of his refutes with the words, do you guys remember what it is? It is written. Or in other words, it's the Translations say, the scriptures say. So if Jesus himself knows the power of the words of God and he used them against his enemy, I think it's pretty safe to say that we too can use the scriptures as a powerful weapon against anything that would come up against us or try to rob us of our joy. Unforgiveness, bitter hearts, anger. And along with that power of the word of God, it gives us direction stability, counsel, comfort, but you've got to know it to do it. You've got to read it. You've got to put it in your heart so that when the time comes, you're at the ready. When I was eight years old, when I was eight years old, I was at home sleeping in my bed, and my parents slept in the upstairs of our house, so it was completely separated from the main floor where my sister and I slept. And my dad would occasionally come downstairs in the middle of the night, get something to eat, go to the bathroom, go back to bed. And it was actually a pretty common occurrence. And this particular night, I was woken up by our little dog, Sandy, barking. And I thought it was odd because he wasn't much of a barker. And I heard my sister yell from her room for him to shut up. Um, and uh, he was still making some small yips now and then. And it was really dark in the house, but I always slept with a nightlight on in my room and my door open. And I heard my dad bustling around in the kitchen and then make his way down the hall where my bedroom was towards the bathroom. I popped my head up and I said, good night, dad. And then I put my head back down. And the hall was so dark. Um, and then with the nightlight on, all I could see was his shadow. <clears throat> he paused, didn't say anything, and then continued down the hall. And it was about two seconds after that moment that I realized that that wasn't my dad. I was so 
scared. I literally didn't know what to do, but what I can remember to this day was that I laid there and I quoted over and over in my head, Psalms 56.3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. As a good Baptist, everything was in the King James Version. Long story short, I had the wisdom beyond my ability to lay there quietly in my bed, pretending I was asleep, even after he returned back to my room, picked up the coat that was on my doorknob, dropped it to see if I was still asleep, and then shut my door. And I eventually fell asleep until morning when I awoke to my dad walking around the house in shock and disbelief that we had had a thief in our home and completely losing it in his arms. The scriptures have power, you guys. Even for a scared eight-year-old girl who had no one to help her but her heavenly daddy, who only had the words that he gave her, and with them came the power to bring peace and to calm my fear. The knowledge to do something I wouldn't have otherwise known to do. Everything that I needed in that moment. The word of God will work in you. It will change you. It will equip you and give you the ability to walk out this Christian life in the authority and the power that his words bring. Amen. Can we thank Mary Birch? That was awesome. Awesome. Well, when we looked at the scripture that talks about, you know, receiving the word of God and seeing the word of God work in us in a powerful way, uh, we thought, who better to talk about this than our missionaries who work with uh, Wycliffe, right? Who actually work in translating the word of God and bringing the word of God to uh, villages and to people in their own language. And uh, many of us support two different families that work for Wycliffe. We got David and Shelley Midkiff, and then, of course, Ryan and Tamara McIntyre. I asked uh, Tamara if she would uh, give us um, something on this receiving of the word and the word moving in power, and she actually wrote me back. So let me read this uh, to you before we move on. She says, here is the part of the verse that we want to focus on. You accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is that work in you. She says, we want to give you a few examples from different perspectives of receiving God's word. An example during the translation process. As you in the church know, we're not translators. Our job is far more normal than that. But we do have the honor and privilege of hosting translation teams often. And we get to learn a lot from them, especially during the translation workshops. We have talked about how amazing the experience of translating really is. They read God's word in English and in talk Pisin, the local trade uh, language and prayerfully dissect each word and the meaning of each verse the goal is through prayer and guidance of the holy spirit that they will translate a bible that's accurate and will speak to the culture of their people group there are many steps and checkpoints along the way the point to this being here are people diving into god's word with great purpose and depth it is so powerful I'm getting to a good example, she writes. But first, you need to know some background. Wycliffe doesn't plant churches. We work with whatever church is already established in an area to translate the Bible. Our team working out of Kokopo has uh, allocated to an area that has only Catholic churches. But this language group really wanted to translate a Bible. In the recent past, there was an incident in this area where the people stoned a Protestant missionary to death for preaching a message other than Catholicism. 
The miracle is that one of the local men on this translation team shared at the last course that because of studying and translating God's word, the Lord has begun giving him dreams that challenge some of his religious ideas and rituals. He wasn't comfortable yet to share the details, but opened a prayer that as he continued to translate and continue to study the Bible, that God would continue to reveal biblical truths to him. She says, this is amazing. Here you have a family who goes into a firmly Catholic area, attends the local Catholic church each Sunday, and then dissects scriptures while translating, and God, through his word, does a mighty work. It shows how powerful his word is that we don't have to shake our finger at denominational differences, but that the Holy Spirit will challenge each of us to bring us to his truth through his word. How cool is that? An example when receiving translated scripture. Do you remember, she says, when we were able to go to the two Bible dedications in Milne Bay province? For these dedications, it was up to each language group to gather their community and decide what they wanted their celebration to look like and what was the message they wanted to share about receiving translated scriptures. One of the most powerful experiences was watching the celebration when the Kanasi people group uh, received their translated scriptures. They had this beautiful display that was made of hand-carved large wooden platters, men who were dressed in traditional sing-sing, which is celebration dancing, clothing, carried this platter filled with Bibles through the crowd of people into the front. There was a time of worship and praise, grateful hearts overflowing as tears ran from everyone's eyes. The deepest gratitude I have ever seen about God's word. Many of you have watched videos like that on YouTube when they're just crying as the word of God comes into the village. The message of the ceremony for the Kanasi people was that God came, changed everything. Once they used this platter to carry food to feed their bodies, but now they use it to carry Bibles that will fill their souls. How good is that? They continued this theme in celebration as they danced traditional dances, but changed each dance's meaning from things about serving the spirits of this world to now having access to know God and serve Him alone. How powerful. An example that is personal. She finishes with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. She says, praise God that from the moment we believe we are reconciled to Christ. This, however, does not mean that we are done. We are a new creation and a creation that is being continually worked and molded by the Lord. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We were reconciled to Christ before we moved to Papua New Guinea, but our time here has continued to change us and grow us. We are continually a new creation, not just new from the day we ask God to forgive us and declare faith in Christ, but new again every time we work through our faith with fear and trembling. Our time in PNG has really changed us, brought us closer to Christ, challenged many of the things that we thought and felt based on our upbringing. We have learned to be learners again. Don't you love that? We have, been lear we have learned to be learners again. We have learned the depth of how much we really don't know. We've been challenged physically, emotionally, relationally. And how do we work through these things? How have we fit these challenges into the puzzle of our salvation? Through prayer and through the word. When we are sick and there's no doctor in town, we turn to the word to be reminded that they knew Christ was able to heal and reached out to him. Reading that encourages us that he can heal us today 
as I believe he healed me last January. This is Tamara writing. When Logan was having night terrors while we were living in the village, we read every account of Jesus casting out demons aloud until he slept in peace. When we feel weak and tired, we turn to the word and we find that we can do all things when we are weak because God graciously gives us the strength. When we're feeling inadequate or that our work in P&G is not enough, we're reminded that we are created in Christ so that we can do the work that he planned for us long ago. She says, I'm not sure if I'm wording this well, but my point is that we believe the Bible is not just the words of man, but the words of God. And that by reading it, we invite and take hold of God's desire to work in us, and he does exactly that. Before writing to you, I grabbed my old prayer journal and I caught this verse from when we first sold our home to prepare for P&G. It's Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. She says those great and unsearchable things that God wants to share with us can be found and confirmed by his written truth, his word. And it's when we search his word that it works in us. We know that we are far from being a finished product and that there are many things God has yet to work out in us. That's from our missionaries in P&G. By the way, yeah, come on. Absolutely. Amen. If you do have contact with them, I'd encourage you to reach out to them and let them know just how much that, that blessed you because they put a lot of work into that and a lot of thoughtfulness. So amen for that. My question for you today is simple is the word of god at work in you is the word of god at work in you you come to a place in your life where you're willing to receive willing to surrender yield to the powerful move of god in your life and i i hope that we would all say yes right yes i want more of god i desire for more of his move more of his word more just of his work in my life because it is powerful when we're changed by god right you ever just step back and go, wow, look at what you have done. I was doing that this week. Oh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, and that. And oh, and that. Oh, and yeah. And you, you ever been there? God, he is doing something so good in me. Paul experienced this in his life. Early disciples, they experienced this in their lives. The early church, they experienced this. The Thessalonians, they experienced this. In verse 14, Paul says that such a work happened in these Thessalonians that they became imitators of the churches in Judea. As we read on earlier, see, Paul had said in chapter 1, he said that uh, a work had happened in the Thessalonians to such an extent that they became imitators of Paul and of the Lord, right? You remember that? Imitators of Paul, imitators of the Lord. Now he's saying imitators of the church in Judea. Isn't that just what God does, right? The work of God, the work of his word. As God's word moves in us, we just cannot help but be changed to look a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's hard in 2018 when you see that word imitator, because imitator, in our culture, that kind of has a bad connotation, right? You, you don't really want to be an imitator, but you got to understand that's not what's going on here at all. It's actually the idea, and I hope you can get this this morning, that in the best of ways, in the most Christ-like of ways, the Thessalonians, by the work of God that is uh, working in them, they are now imitating other believers, whether it's Paul or Silas or the churches in Judea, all of them looking more and more like Christ, okay? And then Paul goes on to say, and this is really important, that they were following the churches in Judea's example of suffering, 
suffering, suffering for the gospel. You became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered. Everyone say suffered. That's not a great way to grow a church, by the way. Uh, but for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. I was thinking about this week. Right away, I think that shows us that a true work of God has happened in them, right? You're not going to suffer for something that isn't true, for something that you don't believe is true, and yet they're willing to suffer because something very real and very substantial and supernatural has happened in their lives. And you see this in uh, many of the early church believers. They are willing to suffer for their faith, right? Most of the disciples died for their faith. Why? Because they believe in it. They believe that the good news of Jesus Christ, it's forgiven them of their sins. They believe that the good news of Jesus Christ has given them eternal life with their, with their Heavenly Father. And so because of this, yeah, absolutely it's true, and I'm willing to lay down my life for this good news. So Paul says you suffer the same things from your own countrymen as they did, the church in Judea, as they did from the Jews. And the reality is the churches in Judea they really did experience a lot of suffering. Uh, intense persecution from the non-believing Jewish people of the region. In fact, if you go back just a little bit in time, one of the most famous and very first persecutors of the church in Judea was a guy named Saul. Anyone remember Saul? Right? Saul, he was pretty passionate, pretty zealous in his persecution of the church. We have a couple of scriptures here. Saul, it says he began to destroy the church. He went from house to house. Just visually imagine what this looks like, church. He went from house to house, dragging off both men and women, putting them in prison. Later, we're told in chapter 9, Saul, he was, he was breathing out. Just picture what this uh, looks like. He is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. But then we know that's not the end of the story, right? Radical conversion happens in Saul. Saul becomes Paul, maybe one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known. And we actually have some of the letters that this missionary wrote. One of those letters happens to be the letter to the Thessalonians. One of the greatest persecutors of the church becomes one of the greatest missionaries of the church. This week, it got me thinking about Jesus and his words in Matthew chapter 5. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Church, you never know when you're loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. You might be praying for the next Apostle Paul. So again, a great persecution in the early church in Jerusalem, in Judea, even after Saul becomes Paul, non-believing Jewish people coming in, continuing to persecute Christians. Almost every city that Paul goes into, the Jewish leaders, they just stir something up, right? They stir up trouble for the believers, for Paul, uh, for his companions. I don't have time to read all of these, but at Pisidian Antioch, the Jews saw the crowd, were filled with jealousy, began contradicting Paul. Uh, they actually instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas, driving them out of their district, at Iconium, the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles, embittered them against their brethren. At Lystra, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, thought he was dead. At Corinth, the Jews with one accord, they rose up against Paul. At Jerusalem, they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, he should not be allowed to live. Do you think Paul faced just a little bit of persecution? Right, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Church in Judea faced persecution. Now this church in Thessalonica facing 
persecution. We actually have a record of this, and I, I know we've read this before, but it's a great account of, of what happened in Thessalonica. It's in Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, just go back a few, few books to the book of Acts chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, or Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, reasoned with them with scriptures, explaining, proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So he's telling them the gospel of Jesus, right? And he says, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So this is pretty good. I mean, it starts out pretty good. But let's keep on reading, verse 5. But the Jews, they were jealous, taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring him out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason. Just imagine what this looks like, church. They dragged Jason, some of the brothers, before the city authorities, shouting, These men, they've turned the world upside down. And they've come here also, and Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people of the city, or the people in the city authorities, they were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So just imagine, bless you, uh, just imagine what that atmosphere is like. Being dragged out of your house, placed before the authorities, the believers in Thessalonica, we got to get this, they're feeling it, right? They know what persecution is all about. But then listen to what happens next. Keep reading. The brothers immediately send Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So this starts out really good. Praise the Lord. But then look what happens. But when the Jews from Thessalonica... Learn that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also. What do they do? They follow him. They came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So these guys in Thessalonica, right? This, this is heavy stuff. They are stirring it up. Not only do they stir up the crowds in their own town, but you try to go to another town, they're just going to follow you and stir up the crowds over at the new town. This is the climate in which these new believers in Thessalonica are living in. Intense opposition against those who put their faith in Jesus. And LifeSpring, I want us to grab a hold of this this morning. But then I want us also to remember, this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Jesus was not silent on this issue. He warned his disciples. He told them, he said, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. And if you remember, he had told them that they're going to hate you, right? Remember that? They're going to hate you because they hate me. But then he also said, but I, I got you. I'm going to send you the advocate. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the helper. So he says, I've said all this to keep you from falling away. They're going to put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming. Whoever kills you, they're going to think they are offering service to God. So Jesus warned of this persecution, but Jesus' heart for his disciples, I believe his heart for all of us this morning, is that in the midst of persecution, that we wouldn't fall away. 
this is really important for us today. I want you to grab a hold of this. In the midst of persecution, that we wouldn't fall away. So he's given us his words, his instruction. He's given us his Holy Spirit to follow and to obey. So what? So that we won't fall away when life gets hard. That's actually a part of the Christian life. That you wouldn't fall away when life gets hard. That we would stay true to the faith. And that's what you see in the Thessalonian believers. Yeah, they're afflicted. They are suffering, but they're staying on the side of faith. This is how Paul talks about them. He said, if you remember, it was a few weeks ago when we said this. He goes, I remembered your work of faith. Remember that? He goes, I remember your labor of love. I remember your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They're people of faith, of love, of hope who again received the word in much affliction. Yeah, stuff was going on. But you remember in that verse it said you received it with much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So circumstances, I mean, if we could interview them right now, circumstances probably weren't going how they wanted them to go. They had their struggles. They were walking through trials, facing opposition. But they aren't falling away. They have Jesus. They have the Holy Spirit who is leading them through it all. And the Bible actually tells us that their faith in God, their demonstration of faith, it actually becomes an example to believers everywhere. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of faith that I want. And you know, as I was studying it this week, I was like, God, that's the kind of faith that I want to be known for. Wouldn't it be something if Lifespring, Lifespring Church, that we would have the reputation of being a place of this kind of faith in God, that come what may, right, good, bad, or ugly, we would be known as a people who are full of Jesus, full of joy, who stand strong in faith. Strong in faith. But then the Word of God also tells us there's a testing of our faith. A testing of our faith that happens in the midst of affliction. When people don't treat us the way that we should be treated. When circumstances and situations are unfair, lack justice. Those types of things, they can really challenge our faith. But I also believe these harder times, they can reveal the substance of our faith. When the heat gets turned up, what kind of faith do we really have? I think the beginning of the book of James is so appropriate with all this he says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing later he says blessed is the man who remains steadfast that's an important word by the way steadfast under trial For when he has stood the test, he will receive, what? He'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Steadfast under trial. Steadfast under trial. Jesus gives an amazing parable about all this. It's a familiar parable, but uh, the, the danger of familiar parables is we hear the preacher talking about it and we just tune out. But just as much as you can, uh, receive it fresh and anew this morning. Jesus uh, went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered around him, and he got into a boat, and he sat down. The whole crowd, they stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came, devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. 
But when the sun arose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now he explains the parable a little bit later, which is, I'm really thankful for when Jesus explains the parables. But I want to focus on verse 20 and 21. For that seed that fell on the rocky ground. Listen to what he says. He says, as for that seed that was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, endures for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. How many times have we seen that played out? Right? People hear the word. As a preacher, you get to be around this a lot. People hear the word. Oh, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm just all in for Jesus. Here we go. But then it never gets rooted. It never gets established. And so when tribulation or persecution or trials come, and by the way, you can just count on it, it's going to come. My old boss used to say, you're either going into one or going out of one, but it's just the way it is. But when it comes, when it hits you, how many people fall away? I want you to consider in your own life, as you face tribulation, as you face persecution, and again, whatever that means in your context, each one of our stories is different, but in your context, as you face those things, I want to ask you, what has the world seen in you? Have they seen you just fall away? When the going gets tough, do you just kind of pack up and leave? Or did they see something different? Maybe something that looks a little bit more like Jesus. Maybe something that looks like a work of faith, a labor of love, a steadfastness of hope. Well, maybe you're thinking, well, actually, Pastor Dan, no, uh, I'm actually really good at bailing on God. The pressure gets to me and I run away as far and fast as I can. Maybe that's your track record. Maybe that's been your go-to response. Again, to situations that are unfair, situations that lack justice, situations that are troubling and hard and painful and hurtful. Maybe that's how you've responded to those things. See, this is what I love about God, and, and he was speaking to different areas in my own life this week. That in this moment, 10 o'clock, regardless of our past decisions, you're here and God's here. You're here and God's here. And he is ready, willing, and able to do a supernatural work in you. We don't rest on something that happened in 1980 or 1970 or whenever that thing happened. We rest on the living word of God that is active now. And he is willing to do something now. His powerful word is ready now to come in, to work in us, to move in those places of fears and hurts and those areas of brokenness, those areas of pain. He's willing to do a work by his grace that comes in and heals and restores, that sets you on your feet. Again, a work that fills you with faith. Did you know that God, by his grace, can even fill you with faith today? Did you know that? He can actually fill you with a faith that would move you forward into what he has for you. So that means regardless of how you and I came into this place today, we can leave here strong in the Lord. I, I 
I am encountering so many Christians, I don't even know if they believe that. But you can leave here strong in the Lord that as you face the trials and the hardships, I get it, it's hard. Everyone's going through something hard. We are all facing trials, but with the strength of the Lord, by faith, you can come in and they do not have to defeat you. They do not have to cause you to stumble. They do not have to cause you to fall away. You can leave here established, rooted up, built up in the mighty name of Jesus in faith. I believe God wants to do that for so many of us today right and and, and just a word of caution in, in a moment like this and with what god is speaking this is not an opportunity for us to now just try really hard right just like i'm just gonna have faith that's not what this is about at all this is actually about us kind of letting that grip kind of loosen just a little bit and actually a yielding and a surrendering and saying, no, God, I'm going to yield to your grace, to what you would want to do, to your work in my life, to the work of your word. I want to receive it. Uh, there's certain areas. Every one of us has this. I, I was thinking about in my life, just there's certain areas that, yeah, I'm here, right, with God here, here, and here. But this area, like, I'm not so sure I want to receive the word there. But in a moment like this, because of what God wants to do and because of his love for us, we can say, no, God, I'm going to trust you that he in that scary, painful area, I'm going to just kind of surrender and yield and say, I want to allow your word to work in this area. And God can begin to do that, begin to fill you up and give you what you need. And you know who had this happen a lot in his life was the Apostle Paul. We, we just put Paul on this great pedestal, but we got to remember there was an amazing work that God was doing in Paul. I'm going to read a portion of scripture, and worship team, you can come on up. I want, I want you to think of this scripture. You've heard it before, but I want you to think of it in the context of God giving us, such as in this moment, giving us what we need to stand strong in the faith. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. Who gave Paul the strength? I think, I'm going to read it again. Listen carefully. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. So who gave him strength? Yeah. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people. Listen, but God had mercy on me. Who had mercy? God. God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. So who was generous? Our Lord. Who was gracious? Right? Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was to me. And then listen to this, church. He filled me with the faith. So who filled Paul with faith? He says he filled me with the faith, and he filled me with love. Who filled Paul with love? Praise the Lord. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. Come on. like God does an amazing work in Paul's life. He fills him with strength, with grace, with faith, with love. Man, just as he did that in Paul, he wants to do that in us. He's been doing that, by the way, for thousands of years. He's filled millions upon millions of believers. He wants to do that in you today. He wants to do that in me. And so I just want to pray over us. Pray over us that no one, no one 
no one would leave here lacking in anything. That we'd be filled up by God's Spirit. That we would have everything we need to live for Him. So when the affliction comes, or when the trial comes, and it will come, that we won't fall away. We won't run for the hills. But instead, in faith, hallelujah, in faith, in faith, trusting in God, we will stand strong, holding on to God, holding on to His mighty word, knowing that no thing, no one can uproot us from the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And my heart for you, church, as your pastor, and I believe God's heart for you as your creator, is that your faith, your love, your hope, and your joy your very life would be an example to the world of the powerful and the good work that only God and God's Word can do. And so let's pray. Lord, you, just, you want us to shine. I, I just have such a... Just, I, I love your Word today. I, I love this Word. That you're saying, I'm ready, willing, and able to do a good work in you. And Lord, even as I was stepping back and just seeing what you've been doing in my life, I'm like, oh my goodness, just the undeserved, unmerited favor of God in my life. And yet we also know, just as Tamara wrote, that you're not done with us yet. That we're still learning, we're still growing. And so this moment right now is not just a religious exercise or another opportunity to go through the motions. But it's an opportunity for your powerful word to work in us. Give us faith where we need faith. Give us love where we need love. That we would be a people of hope. In the midst of the trials and the tribulations, we'd be a people of joy in you, Lord. Lord, there's no need for us to walk in broken relationship with you, with others, or ourselves any longer. I just heard this on Friday night. That's what sin does, but you do the complete opposite. You restore. You reconcile us into a healthy relationship with you, with others, and with ourselves. So do a work in us today. Move by the power of that is yours, that we'd leave here changed to look more like Jesus and to be an example to the world that when the fire gets turned up, we will not run to the hills. We will stand strong in you, Lord. Thank you for the faith that you're giving us right now. Thank you, Jesus. We ask for it. We ask for it in the name of Jesus. Fill us up with faith and love today. Fill us up, God. If you would be willing, would you just give us a new, even portion of faith, just a new measure of faith? If you'd be willing, God, if your eyes and your ears might be in tune to what is happening in Edgewood, God, would you?
begin to just even in greater measures pour out faith and love into your children. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.